A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's the morning after the nightmare before yesterday, Prime Minister Boris Johnson divided the nation into three different parts and the country may never recover. Tempers are running high in Liverpool, the epicentre of coronavirus today, where lockdown measures will restaurants, bars and hotels out of business and where the locals are already talking about ignoring the rules. Today we're kicking off with Desmond Swain MP, one of the sole voices of reason from the Tory backbenches on resisting the lockdown matter. But as more and more people question the motives of the government, there are plenty of people asking the question, what else are they supposed to do? And that's what we're going to ask this morning. What else can the government do? What else should the government do? And what else would actually work in the sense of saving lives while still saving the economy as well? And of course, in order to help us do that, we need to help hear from you. Does anybody really expect people to put up with this craziness for six months? which is what we're being asked to do. 0344 499 And secondly, does anybody really believe that this will be the end of it? No, it won't be. Because you know very well, in a couple of weeks' time, London will suddenly find itself in the midst of a lockdown. Parts of the southeast of England will suddenly find itself in the midst of a lockdown. And the government will basically do everything in its power to lock down the country in all but name. Coming up later on, I'll be asking why Good Morning Britain thought it was a good idea to interview Mike Tyson this morning when he was clearly impaired in some way, possibly completely off his face, in order to promote a boxing match which could end up with him going to hospital. And Esther Kraku joins us later with her take on the woke week we have just endured and an explanation of why, despite the levelling up debate, young white Britons somehow managed to earn less than their BAME counterparts. 03444991000. That's a report in the Daily Telegraph this morning. And not that I'm one for tittle-tattle, but isn't it unfortunate that Dominic West, who only last week was jumping for joy at the news that President Trump had coronavirus, has been exposed in the newspapers this morning for canoodling with a young actress uh, who isn't his wife. In Rome. Arrivederci, matey. 0344-499-1000. Listen to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there are lots of reasons to discuss what happened yesterday because it was a day of what you might regard as sort of constructed high drama. First of all, Jonathan Van Tam was wheeled out uh, during my show around about 11 o'clock in the morning while we were talking to Peter Hitchens to give us the lowdown on what it was that the medical evidence was showing us. Basically, another collection of graphs which were quite confusing at times, supposedly showing that the numbers of people being admitted to hospital was going up and the numbers of people dying from coronavirus was also going up. But it was so opaque and it was so ridiculously kind of complex 
that it didn't really look to me like an emergency. And it certainly didn't look to me like what we were facing in March. Now, the big one piece of information that the government is using to kind of uh, uh, crucify us with is this. Apparently, there are more people in hospital now from coronavirus than there were in March. Now, I don't know if in March of this year, coronavirus victims were actually numbering a very high uh, percentage of people in hospital. So I'm not even sure if that should change our view. But clearly, that piece of news, that piece of information is supposed to make us feel like, oh my God, we could be going back to the future. We could be going back to how awful it was in March and April and May. Well, I'm sorry. I don't believe the government statistics anymore. I don't believe the government anymore. Let's talk to Sir Desmond Swain, Conservative MP, former International Development Minister as well, to see if he believes the government anymore. Sir Desmond, a very good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for for joining me. I'm sorry to be so critical of Boris Johnson, a man who I thought was going to be a great prime minister of this country, but who I'm afraid at this point in uh, history is turning out to be something of a dud. Well, I was I was actually a little bit more encouraged by what happened yesterday or more particularly what we've discovered this morning. Mm. We've discovered this morning that actually Boris has resisted the scientists. Um, They were demanding a full lockdown a couple of weeks ago. Right. And resistance is beginning to build. He said, no, we discovered at the weekend that the Irish government, again, were told by their scientists that they had to have an immediate lockdown. And they said, no, we've seen that the World Health Organization is now backing off lockdowns and coming, you know, moving towards the Great Barrington um, uh, Declaration. So so the resistance is building. But to deal specifically with the point that you raised about trust in government statistics, I think that the chief scientist and uh, chief medical officer did huge damage a couple of weeks ago when they produced that graph. He said, it isn't a prediction. Uh, It's only a a possibility. Uh, Well, we're nowhere near that possibility on yesterday's statistics. Uh, And actually, the other thing that we were told was, nevertheless, if you look at the curve, uh, we're doing much worse than France and Spain were a couple of weeks ago. We're going much higher than they are. Hold on a minute. Coronavirus is like any other commodity. The more you pay for it, the more you will have of it. And we've paid a shed shed loan for a testing and tracing system, 12 billion pounds. We are doing more testing than France and Spain put together. Obviously, we will therefore turn up more cases because we're doing more testing. The second point, the point that you make about the hospital occupation, immediately I was told this, I thought, So what's that got to do with the price of fish now? The reality is when we went into lockdown in March, it was not because of the incidence of people being admitted to hospital. It was because the government saw uh, the modelling from Imperial College, which said a quarter of a million of us were going to die. It was not the issue that led to the lockdown. And therefore, a comparison should not be made saying, we need to contemplate lockdowns now because the hospital admissions are higher. It's a non sequitur. 
Yes, I agree with that. But also their use of statistics to try and convince us of the veracity of what they're about to do. I'm getting very fed up with Desmond because it turns out that, you know, one of the things that they said yesterday was that we are close to or taking over and uh, exceeding the numbers of people who were in uh, hospital for COVID in March. Now, I can't remember how many people were in hospital in March, but they haven't given us a number in the same way that they give us all these ridiculous statistics about how, you know, percentage wise, we're getting more and more people into hospital. We need numbers, you know, and the fact is that we don't trust the government anymore. That's the problem. I think this, uh, I, I certainly come back to the point that I made, that I think a lot of trust, certainly for people like me, uh, was lost when we saw the graph that was produced uh, a couple of weeks ago. You've got to be very careful with these things. Statistics, you know, and damn lies are not far from one another. It, it depends entirely how you present them. You've got to be sure that you're comparing like with like, yeah. not comparing apples and pears. And even Van Dam admitted that or, or drew attention to it uh, yesterday. And you've got to be very careful when you look at these graphs, exactly what the scales are on the two axes to work out what you're being told. Well, exactly right. But also, a couple of weeks ago, Sir Desmond, you called for the resignations or the firings even of Messrs Valance and Witty. Uh, do you still call for that? I, I, I agree. I think they, 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 they um, well, went well beyond their brief in what, in, in my view, was an attempt to scare us as if people aren't already scared enough. Uh, and I think that the, the, the statistical analysis that they produced um, was, um, you know, frankly ridiculous. And so I stick by what I said. Yes. And I think they have done untold harm to Boris Johnson because I get questioned all the time. What else should the government do? Many people are disillusioned with Boris. Many people are disillusioned by this government. But actually, I blame the scientists for leading him astray. Well, I, I agree. But the, remember, the job of the politician is to sit above the scientists. The scientists can, you know, are specialists in their particular branch of science. And they will have a, uh, a set of advice that is focused explicitly on dealing with the disease. The government has to consider the consequences for the economy and the consequences for other diseases being treated by the NHS as well. They have to look at a broader picture. Now, I'm glad that actually Boris has been pushing back and has already, as we've seen from the minutes of Sage this morning, has already rejected the advice that he was given a couple of weeks ago, saying that he needed to go for another national lockdown. So I hope that that resistance will build. Yes, well, let's hope so. But what about uh, Parliament itself, Sir Desmond? Because we were told there was going to be a vote on the 10pm curfew. I think that was meant to be yesterday. I'm told it may now be today. Uh, there was supposed to be a vote on the Graham Brady Amendment. That was kind of swept aside. There was supposed to be a vote on the coronavirus um, bill, which would maybe lessen the government's grip on the, uh, their ability to do whatever the hell they want to do. Um, but all of that has kind of fallen away. I mean, what are you guys doing uh, to protect the reputations and the businesses of this country? Well, we did have a vote on the renewal of the powers in the um, coronavirus bill. And I think I was one of seven uh, that voted against it. Yeah. Uh, and um, we will have a vote tonight on the 10 p.m. rule, as well as a whole raft of other uh, government orders uh, setting, basically setting out what they announced last night. 
Um, whether we will get those votes individually or whether as a job lot is something that's under discussion now and some people are very worried about. Frankly, I don't care. You know, if I get to vote against them all in one job lot, that's that's convenient for me rather than to have to uh, take them all individually. I can't actually see the, that there's a terribly big issue there. Well, there's a big issue for an awful lot of restaurants who can't actually make any money because they have to throw everybody out at 10 o'clock. So I think uh, you guys, uh, and I, I appreciate that you're one of the uh, the standout MPs, Desmond, uh, who has actually voted against the government here, but I think it's your duty bound to try and get this 10pm curfew reversed because there's clearly no scientific basis for it. I agree. I agree entirely. I think it's a, it's a disaster. Uh, and in fact, you know, the, the, the whole notion of the, the fact that there's no drinking up time so everybody crashes out yep. at 10 o'clock together uh, making nonsense of social distancing mm. equally you would be much much better to have delegated that power right down to local authorities so that they could impose a curfew on an individual establishment if there was a problem there and that would then give the proprietor a huge incentive to influence and control the social distancing behaviour of his patrons. But this national imposition, I agree, has no scientific basis at all. It is just a thorough irritant and increases this general perception of fear and disaster. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. So in terms of the general kind of overview, Sir Desmond, of what we should be doing, I, I take it that you, like me, think that we are really being far too reliant upon the so-called medical evidence and we are being far too kind of um, desperate to try and stop something that we cannot stop. I had a Tory MP on here yesterday who said, look, the government does not control the virus. And it doesn't. But you wouldn't expect them to control the virus because the virus is pretty much uncontrollable uh, by government. So therefore, should we not be much more careful about people who need treatment for other ailments in the NHS and also people's livelihoods, people's businesses and people's ability to go to work? Well, I, I agree. And um, it, it, I, I, I'm not one of those people who says we shouldn't listen to the science. It depends what science you're listening to. Well, exactly. There's an awful lot of scientists, an awful lot of scientists who are saying something very different. And I've signed the Great Barrington uh, Declaration, yeah. signed by so many scientists and commissions. And that's exactly the point. We should be relying on tra test, track and trace to try and confine people who are infected so they aren't going out spreading it. But beyond that, you need to concentrate your efforts on providing protection for those people who really need it, uh, including people who are in the, in, in the NHS. And the rest of us need to take a mature estimate of the risks that we're prepared to take in our ordinary lives in the same way that we do uh, when we encounter any other danger and difficulty like crossing the road. Right. Uh, and concentrate on the fact that actually... This is only 24th in the league of killers in the United Kingdom yes. today, uh, killing only 1.4 of us. So, you know, we need to, ha to have a mature attitude to the economic realities of getting on with our normal lives because this could go on forever. Well, exactly. There is no guarantee that there will be a vaccine. 
And aren't, and aren't you concerned as well, Sir Desmond, that I know it's four years seems a long way off, but when the next general election comes around, if this has not been sorted out, there will be many people in the northern seats that the Tories won in the last election in December who will just desert the Tories once more. I don't know who the hell they're going to vote for, but they're certainly not going to vote for Boris Johnson. Well, I, my, my attitude was, well, you know, clearly there's a danger. I hope not. Uh, and I hope when it comes to an election, you remember you're always comparing the alternatives and hanging on to nurse for fear of something worse. And yeah. it's interesting to see the Labour Party's reaction this morning uh, to the news uh, that two weeks ago the scientists were demanding a full lockdown. Their reaction is, well, why haven't you done it? I mean, so actually, I'm quite confident that were we under a Labour government, the measures we're being imposed of us, on us would be significantly mm. worse. At least Boris is holding a line. I want him to move the line in my direction. OK, so you're confident that Boris is back. Is that what you're telling me? I certainly, a, a couple of times, um, I've uh, listened to Boris a couple of weeks ago at the um, uh, 1922 committee, and he was full of beans. He was, he was the old Boris again. Uh, but then yesterday we were back in this terrible project fear can't get over it but there it is i hope that the resistance even within boris's own mind is building yes well let's hope so sir desmond swain conservative mp thank you very much indeed former international development minister a man who has actually put his money where his mouth is who has voted down uh, and against government motions for coronavirus bills and who has voted down and who will vote down uh, the 10 p.m curfew however he's only one of seven people who actually voted against the coronavirus bill. And we need an awful lot more of them if we're going to see this government actually seeing sense from the people of this country who are sick to the back teeth. And I know this because I've spoken to a few of my friends in Liverpool, sick to the back teeth of being ordered around, told what to do and told when to do it. And if you are one of those, we'd love to hear from you. Equally, if you're one of those people who thinks this is great, that this is the right thing to do, I'd love to hear your arguments because I can't think of any. And for Matt Hancock to go around saying, oh, don't worry, just do as you're told. That'll be just fine. Uh, we don't want to let this uh, disease rip through the community. If I hear him saying that one more time, I tweeted at him last night and said, for heaven's sake, matey, you are a minister of state. What on earth are you doing using such inflammatory and dangerous language, trying to frighten people and saying that anyone who doesn't agree with the government wants to let the virus rip through the community. You know, it's a violent phrase. It conjures up an image of nastiness. Matt Hancock, you should be ashamed of yourself. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk now to Dr Jodie Moffat from Cancer Research UK, because one of the things that we do know uh, is a problem in this country currently, um, and because we've heard it from very many doctors in the past, is all sorts of other treatments that would normally be available on the NHS have been kind of in suspended animation. And while some people's experiences have been good, other people's have been terrible. Let's find out from Dr Jodie Moffat what the situation is. Uh, Dr Jodie, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. I mean, obviously, um, people have been sort of, you know, obsessed with COVID-19. Some people feel uh, that it's a very dangerous disease. Other people, not so much. Some people feel that, uh, you know, the government's approach, which has been to kind of um, cotton wool, if you like, uh, anybody who is suffering from COVID-19 and cotton wool wards in hospitals is the right way to go. But a lot of people suffering from cancer have suffered, I think, over the past few months, haven't they? They have indeed. Going through cancer is a very difficult time anyway, but to have to do it during a global pandemic, of course, added, adds another horrible layer to things. Yes. 
we know that the health service has struggled with COVID and ha has had a, there's been an impact on cancer services up and down the land. And what's been the kind of um, effect of that, if you like? Because obviously, um, you know, we speak to doctors all the time who say that there has been this kind of unfortunate obsession with COVID-19 um, and, and the, the neglect of, of, of other people's problems um, has created not just difficulties medically, but also kind of mentally as well. When we asked uh, patients about their experience in the earlier parts of the pandemic, unsurprisingly, many patients reported feeling concerned and anxious about the times that they were going through. And um, there was a real lack as well in some quarters of up-to-date information about what was happening. We have seen a huge impact on cancer services during the COVID time. We've seen cancer screening programmes being paused. We've seen patients behaving differently when they have symptoms, so fewer people coming forward. We've seen GPs having to manage um, those patients that do make contact and work out you know, what's significant, what needs referring. They've not always had access to the tests that they need in order to best inform their decision. So we've seen knock-on effects at all parts of the cancer pathway. And this is a huge concern because some of the delays that we have seen will, for some patients, unfortunately, mean the difference between surviving their cancer or not. So there, we do really need to make sure that we can keep those cancer services going through what is looking to be another resurgence of COVID. And it's a huge challenge, um, but we really don't want to go from one health crisis into another. We need to make sure that the NHS has the investment and the resource it needs to be able to deal with patients, no matter what disease they have. That's the least our patients deserve. No, of course, because many cancer patients, if they are receiving treatment, are vulnerable um, as, uh, as, as a result of that treatment, aren't they? So um, they're kind of reluctant, I suppose, to put themselves in danger in terms of maybe going out or going to see um, uh, hospital um, wards or going to visit even their GP. So they're, they're already vulnerable as a result of the treatment they're getting. Yeah, for some patients, they are, as you say, vulnerable. They have to follow shielding guidelines and they're going to be concerned about what will happen if they go for those tests. There are also lots of people in the system that actually don't have a diagnosis of cancer, but their doctor wants to, them to have a test just to see whether there's something amiss. And we're concerned that those people as well don't often have the confidence to, to go for those tests because they are worried about COVID. And we need to ensure that there are those COVID protected spaces so that people can have the tests and the treatment that they need. And ensuring that there's COVID testing available to health professionals and to patients in a timely and accurate way is really important if we're going to be able to keep those cancer services and other key services going throughout what is bound to be a very difficult few months. Absolutely right. And it's not very helpful. And I'm not going to ask you to be critical of Matt Hancock. And that's my job. But it's not very helpful when the health secretary, Matt Hancock, comes out uh, last week in the House of Commons and says, well, you know, if you don't do what we're telling you to do, we may have to ration cancer treatment. I mean, surely that is not for him to say, is it? There are very difficult decisions that people in government are having to make at the moment to control the stem of the coronavirus. What we have seen from the first wave is that there is a knock-on impact on health services and on cancer services specifically. We need to learn from that and do what we can to keep these cancer services running so that patients get the tests and the treatment that they need. No, exactly right. And in terms of the sort of um, the postcode lottery that we sometimes hear about when it comes to cancer treatment, is it worse in some parts of the country than it is in others? And presumably, when you see um, the sort of the regional lockdown going on up in the northwest of England, in Liverpool in particular, does that have an impact 
as well on, on some of your cancer sufferers? Well, sadly, we know that even before COVID hit, we did have some um, areas of cancer care that needed significant improvement. It wasn't as if we were dealing with a perfect service. So there was always work to be done. COVID has had an another layer of challenge onto that. And it is true to say that there are people, such as people in more deprived communities, who are more likely to die from cancer than those people living in less deprived communities. Right. We need to tackle that. And we need to make sure that we can improve cancer outcomes for everybody. And in terms of the sort of referrals and that kind of a area, you know, at the very early stages of spotting cancer, you know, I was under the impression that before COVID, GPs were getting better at referring people and the referral system itself was, was getting quicker and slightly more efficient so that people would at least be able to move on to the next stage and see a specialist rather than hanging around for months and months and months and sometimes years. Um, has that been affected? So we have got some really good guidelines that GPs can use in order to work out which patients might have cancer and therefore which need what's called the urgent referral right. or the two-week wait. Um, and we've seen GPs... Um, their use of that has shifted a little bit over COVID because they haven't always had access to the tests that they need in order to make those decisions. And even before COVID, patients who were referred on that two-week wait were often, it was often taken longer than what was called the 62 days to kind of get them through um, the pathway as we would have hoped. So there are challenges, but I think the good thing about it at the moment is that the, there is a lot of data coming through now so we can really understand what the challenge is and what needs to be done to address it to ensure that cancer patients get the treatment that they need. And I would really just encourage people to not be deterred by this. So if they are sat at home and they've noticed a symptom and they're worried it might be cancer or, or they're just not sure, mm. then please do make contact with their GP. It might be a bit difficult. They're going through a, a very difficult time at the moment from a GP practice point of view with COVID cases and self-isolation. But do be persistent and get speak to that GP and, and take that advice and, and follow on those, do those tests yes. as the GP and, suggests. And, I, and just anecdotally, uh, Jodie, I've heard from a lot of people who recall the show and say, you know, I wanted to go and see my GP, but they insisted on me doing it over a video link. Um, but clearly they couldn't see what my problem was because as much as you can show somebody on a video link what you think is the problem, it's not the same as sitting down with somebody and actually looking them in the, in the eye. What would your advice be to people who are only offered a video link? I mean, can you insist on being seen personally? There are a lot of uh, GP practices who are putting in questionnaire steps um, and also videos and telephone calls initially. Um, and I think if those are available, then then do those. If the GP thinks that actually they really would like to examine you, then then they will bring you in for that consultation. But there were some there are some things that actually the GP doesn't need to see you for. If you report them, actually, sometimes they could say, actually, you could do with this test or right. I will refer you. So do do t express your preference to your GP. And if you are really concerned and you don't think that it's being listened to, then do please be persistent. I know it's a difficult time for everybody, um, but now is not the time to sit on problems at home. No, of course. And the other, I suppose, final question is about breast cancer screening, because it was a couple of weeks ago, I think there was a story uh, that said a million women have somehow missed out on breast cancer screening as a result of COVID and the kind of uh, the backlog uh, in medical terms of, as to what they should do. I mean, if you are one of those women, again, what, what would be your advice to them? So there are millions of people who are waiting for invitations to breast screening, to cervical screening and to bowel screening up and down the UK. Mm. Those invitations have started to go out now. So when, be ready to receive it through your letterbox. Look out for it. 
Um, and in the meantime, if you are worried that it's been you know, far too long, you could always try giving the, the screening helpline a call. And if you do notice a symptom, don't wait for the screening. Screening is not for people with symptoms. So if you've noticed a lump or noticed a change in your bowel habit or blood in your poo, then make that appointment with your GP. Okay. And finally, Jodie, I mean, if you could give a message to, to Matt Hancock, the health secretary, what would it be? Cancer can't wait. We need the investment from the government in the comprehensive spending review to ensure that there is the workforce and the kit to ensure cancer patients up and down the country get the care that they need. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Dr Jodie Moffat there, uh, Head of Early Diagnosis, Cancer Research UK. We've heard so many terrible stories. Uh, of course, you might remember the story uh, of the woman, Carol, from Southampton, uh, who had to go private to get her cancer treatment sorted out. Uh, we are still uh, in the business of raising money for her on a crowdfunding basis. Uh, and if you're listening, Carol, best of luck with it all. Uh, I know that what she said to us last time was that basically the money that we raised here, thanks to all of you listening, actually saved her life because she was able to get yet another treatment and it seems as though the treatment is actually working to reduce the tumours that she has. Uh, she's basically got liver cancer. So if anybody out there uh, is in despair because you don't find uh, it able, don't find it possible to get yourselves uh, in with a GP or in with a hospital, do not give up. Persist, make sure you become a nuisance to them and eventually they will have to sort you out. But it shouldn't have to be this way and Matt Hancock as I said, should be ashamed of what he said the other week when he suggested that the government would somehow ration cancer treatment if we, the public, did not do what we're supposed to do when it comes to coronavirus. Absolutely disgraceful. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there was plenty going on yesterday, um, but it was all the same, really, wasn't it? We had uh, Jonathan Van Tam getting up in the morning, telling us about how terrible it all was. Lots of nice graphs showing the, you know, the, the, the trajectory going like that. Then we had Boris Johnson in the House of Commons. Then we had Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak talking later with another uh, professor, witty scenario. Esther Cracker's here with me. Esther, very good afternoon to you. Welcome back. Thank to uh, the Independent Republic. <laughs> Thank you very much. Also, you're going to do Plank of the Week later, which I is know, going to be great yeah. fun. Um, and I'm sure that uh, Messrs Witty Johnson and Sunak may in fact uh, appear may, on may, that. Maybe a feature. But what, yes. I mean, what are you making of it all? Because here we are thinking. I mean, I think I I, I made a prediction. I think back in July, yeah. where I had a piece of soap right <laughs> on my uh, on my sink, and I said, by the time I've used that soap up, uh-huh. the pandemic will be over. Now, it's nearly finished, right? Because okay. obviously I wash my hands when I get home with the soap and it's nearly it's tiny now. Okay. Um, but I fear that I may have to break open another bar of soap because it's not going to be finished when the soap does. Yeah. Um, this lockdown is insufferable. I just, Isn't it? I, I, feel, I feel like it's just no one listening. Right. It's, it's just, it's, it's so ridiculous. And people keep saying, oh, but the coronavirus. At this point, you know, to keep something like this up, you really have to make the boogeyman very scary. Really? Right? The coronavirus has to be ripping through communities, killing. Yeah. Like and also, can the they street. stop using that phrase? It's really annoying me. Matt Hancock talks yeah. about it all the time. You know, well, of course, we can't let the virus rip through the community. Why, why does he not? use that? Why does he use those words, though? It's so yeah. evocative. Yeah, but why not? 
this is the thing. This is the nature of a virus like this. Mm. I just, I think, you know, the opportunity cost is 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 completely not worth it, in my opinion. There are people dying of other things right. that they really shouldn't be dying of because, right. you know, these people are insisting on crashing our economy for effectively a flu. Yeah. Right. This is, and it's, you know, in the beginning of this pandemic, people are saying, don't call it a flu, don't call it a flu. Well, you know, eight months down the line, I think we can pretty much say it's well, a flu. Well, they're also now saying that they're actually going to uh, conjoin yeah. the uh, figures for flu and covid in the coronavirus actual report. So Which is ridiculous. when people say to you, oh, that's irresponsible to call it the flu, they're doing the same thing. thing they're yeah. actually conf- they're conflating the two. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be conjoining the figures so that when we see the figures for next week, yeah. they will actually be for flu and COVID. Yeah. Almost as if the COVID figures aren't bad enough, so uh, they have to enough. add the exactly. flu ones in. And one thing people I, I, I've noticed is, you know, the cases may be going up, but the death rate is just nowhere near. And I think that's what most people care about. If people aren't actually dying of right. this, if this is something that's eventually going to pass, right. if this is something that even amongst like the over 75s, like the survival rate is like 95 plus right. percentage, you know, this is something you can't scare people with statistics. Well, like one, that. Of the, one of the stats they used yesterday was that for people over 85, you know, it's very dangerous. Well, yeah. The average age of death in this country is, is less than 85. So, I mean, I'm not trying to be callous here, but basically if you're over 85, you're already in a pretty good winning situation anyway. Exactly, you've lived and a pretty good life. <laughs> you've lived a pretty good life and you're actually now older than the average age of people who die. Yeah. So, and all the people who've, who've been in touch with me today and, and on other days as well, who are older and who are vulnerable, say, look, we don't want to be locked away. Yeah. We, we don't want the young to be locked away. We'd like to see our life grandchildren. Is life is precious. Yeah. I don't want to spend the last years of my life sitting on my own in a room seeing nobody yeah because of a flu and you know people don't understand there are families that have lost businesses in mm. the space of months right that is horrific that exactly. is a horrifying thought something you've put months behind and boris just says oh we don't want to do this well then don't yeah right because what you're giving up to contain a flu effectively which is still going to rip through communities mm. and i'm really questioning if masks are working at this point because right. i don't think they are you know it's just not worth it well it, uh, there are two questions that interest me one all of the countries in Europe that are now suffering massively, like mm. Spain and France, have been using masks yep. as mandatory, not just inside, but outside as well, mm-hmm. for months, right? Yeah. So if that's the case, how come the disease is so widespread? Oh, they're like, oh, the two people that don't wear masks. I'm like, okay, you can just admit you don't really know how this virus right. is spread. Right. And, you know, that's not fun. But at the end of the day, we know the survival rate is still pretty bloody high. So yeah. just we just have to learn to live with it. Exactly. And we have to be grown up about it. And exactly. I just worry that Boris Johnson isn't being very grown up. You and know, he's not he's, being very honest, which is... No, he doesn't surprising. look very well still. And, yeah. you know, I don't wish to cast aspersions on his health, but he's clearly had a bad time with COVID. Yeah. And he's clearly still not back to normal. He's still recovering Shaking from it, you know. It, yeah. And maybe if you are that close to me, you know, I, I've never been in an ICU unit. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I had been in one, I would also be nervous about it. Yeah. And maybe that's the effect that it has on you and you start to change uh, as an individual. But he used to be a guy that would basically cycle around Britain yeah. without a helmet on. You know, he didn't care. You know, he'd wave to people. He was sort of Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky. He's now completely changed. His entire kind of character and outlook is different, isn't it? Can I just ask, where is the opposition? Like, what is the point of an opposition if he's not opposing? It's over there. (laughs) So Keir Stoner, as I like to call him. I mean, this is a guy... just useless. Well, I mean, he eventually said something interesting last Wednesday at Prime Minister's Questions when he said... Yeah, he actually asked Boris Johnson to provide medical evidence Mm. of the 10pm curfew, right? Yep which I thought, this is actually quite a significant moment. The next day, 
He then said, oh, it's fine. We agree with you. We agree with you. And you know, and there, there was no only, evidence. There's only one science you can listen to, and that's the science that Boris agrees with. Because apparently, you don't have science that, you know, disputes each other, no. or scientists that don't agree with each other. Now everyone's saying masks, masks work, even though we're clearly saying they don't. Well, this, so, great, this great declaration, the Barrington Declaration, which mm. people like Carol Sakura have signed, you know, Carl Hennigan, mm. you know, Professor Gupta, very eminent and very well uh, uh, um, sort of recommended scientists, yeah. differ from what it is that these idiots uh, in the in the chief medical <laughs> officer's office think. Yeah. I mean, old Jean-Claude Van Damme, as we like to call him. I mean, what's he doing? He's out there going, oh, yes, there are more people in hospital than there were in March. Well, that's because so in what? March, there weren't very many people in hospital from COVID yeah. because it hadn't really hit yet. Yeah. What does it mean? Yeah, but so what? You know, are people getting the kind of treatment they need for cancer and other, no. you know, actually deadlier illnesses? You know, this is what and you saw the um, open letter signed by the Belgian doctors yes. uh, a few months ago. It's mm. like no one is listening. Right. Everyone is just listening to what they want to hear. And I, I don't know if there's some sadists that we have in government that are enjoying, you know, treating the country like a bunch of yeah. idiots. I don't know. I, I don't get it. I really don't. Because the idea that they want you to sort of not do anything, mm. not spend any money, not go anywhere. It's yep. bizarre. I mean, now, for example, I see more and more people walking around on the streets wearing a mask. I don't wear a mask on the street. Yeah, that's because that's the peak of stupidity. It really is. I mean, <laughs> there is no point. I actually, I've also find it quite constricting. I don't mm. like it. You know, I've stopped going on the tube again because I now have to wear it like for a lot longer yeah. than I used to. Because I used to just be able to wear it when I got on the train. But now they give you a hard time if you're not wearing one going down the escalator. Yeah. And I don't want to wear one for that long. It's uncomfortable. It makes me very hot. It makes me kind of breathless. I just don't like it. I know? think the point is we just it's we like actually don't know how to breathe. And you're breathing in the like same that. air you're breathing right. out. It's so it's so horrible. Right. But I just I think you know it's 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 clear that we don't know how this virus is spread honestly because anyone can see that these masks are not working. And in places like Sweden where they're not masked up, you know, they're achieving similar results. So clearly, yeah. I don't know how this is being spread, whether it's like through laughter or whatever. But <laughs> What's happening back in Africa where, where your family are? What are, uh, they, so what are they doing? Dealing, how are they doing? Yeah, my fr- I don't know. Obviously, because it's hotter, right? It's like 30 degrees now and most of the year consistently. It's either hot and raining or hot and not raining. Right. Um, and my friends are telling me people are acting like COVID doesn't even exist. Right. Because um, obviously, it's a hotter climate. So, you so know, it doesn't live as, as well. Exactly. There, and it's just, you know, flu is not really a thing. Like, you know, you'd have more serious illnesses like malaria and stuff like that. But I've never... Although, you know, really... you say that. But back in, I suppose, March, which mm. would have been what autumn for mm. australia or yeah. for that part of the world you know it was spreading quite quite, quite well rapidly. there yeah and similarly in brazil it was spreading quite and in america which was pretty hot at the time it was spreading i don't know so what it is maybe it? but the thing is because it's such a new virus we don't really know what it is but apparently it's 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 um under control there quite well most people are just moving about yeah you know and how are you finding your you know how is it affecting you personally um i don't care <laughs> I'm past well, because you're young. Caring. I mean, yeah. but you shouldn't have to care. Yeah. And I mean, this is my thing about you know when you see. I saw. I, I was reporting the other day that I saw people in Peckham yeah. one night. That not only were they happy to be kicked out of the pub, and they're all they're sort of coagulating in the street. They were playing cricket. Yeah, there was a cricket <laughs> match, right? And you kind of go, this is what London is, right? Yeah, people playing cricket, a guy bowling, another guy batting, uh, a Didn't whole the crowd of people. No, I don't know. I, I, the video was only about a minute and a half long. It looked like great fun. I mean, yeah. you know, if I was younger, that's what I'd be doing. And if you're, you know, in your 20s, like you are, 
why would you be frightened of it? Yeah. You know? I just, really I, just don't, I just don't care. Um, I think I'm more frustrated with the fact that these people are not being honest with us. Yeah. It's very clear. They're just going off the same thing. And I don't know what's happened to Boris. It's it's kind of like a whole personality shift. Yeah. But this is not what we signed up for. Right. Just get Brexit done and don't crash our economy. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very simple message. Yeah. Very easy to understand. Let's talk about your update on uh, the lovely Dawn. Dawn Butler. I saw that she got up <laughs> in Parliament Smollett. yesterday. I don't know what... Um, was the reason for it. But when she got up yesterday to speak, she had to make some apologies to the speaker. I don't know what happened, but yeah. it was, you know, it reminded me that she was there, which was, which is which, never which a great nice. thing. You know. <laughs> but I mean, so what's, you're, you've basically been trying to find this uh, footage, mm. haven't you? Yeah. The, the, the police footage uh, from the incident in Hackney. Yeah. How many months ago now? What, three months ago? Three it? months ago, August 14th. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I memorized the date as well. I just, wow. this would be a whole lot easier if Dawn just just asked for the footage herself. Right. Because she's in, the, she's in the footage, right? And for someone who was so happy to put her version of the story and her, you know, shoddily filmed, yes. very dodgily filmed um, footage of it and send it to Sky News and right. BBC and all the rest of it, you would think she would just ask for it, just mm. to put the whole thing out there, just and to say, actually, yeah, so I was... And so here's the police's version of what exactly. happened. Exactly. Right. Um, but she hasn't, so I've had to, you know, jump through all sorts of hoops. I, I originally asked the um, Metropolitan Police to release it. They said no. And they actually said in the letter, you know, it, it would be likely we would release it if Dawn herself asked for it, which right. is, again, not a shock. And so I've sent it to the um, MPS Centre in Sidcup so to appeal it. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to the Information Commissioner. And if that doesn't work, I'm appealing to the Information Commissioner. Right. So, and is there a reason for not releasing it that she hasn't given permission? Is that what has to happen? Um, yeah, and they said, you know, it's kind of, it's not necessarily breaking, breaking protocol, but it's something that they haven't done before. No. And obviously because situations like this don't happen very often, you know, MPs don't run <laughs> to Twitter and the BBC right. and just make these sorts of allegations. But the Police Federation, which is the union representing mm. the police, have also called for it to be released. Yeah, so you would exactly. think that it would be in their interest to do it, wouldn't you? Exactly. Um, and so I don't even know what it is now. I don't know if they're protecting her. I don't know if they want more pressure. Um, but I, at least I'm happy there is a bit more of a transparency process to try and get it released right. um, like I said Dawn asked for the footage to be released what are you hiding but if she doesn't I'm just going to keep going through the legal just keep channels. going you yeah. could be doing this for years I could be yeah but it just it, it infuriates me because if you think about if you put yourself in the, the shoes of the police officers mm. who were just doing their job that day that was so unfair yeah so unfair to plaster their faces on social media for your you know hold of half wits to just descend upon them as right. racist bigots when they were just doing their job and right. they apologized that they made a mistake right and you were saying oh me and my I'm gonna call him racially ambiguous because that man did not look black and right. um, ra my racially ambiguous friend was stopped because this that and the other right. and then the police chief comes out 48 hours later saying they couldn't actually identify you because your no. rear windows were the windows were tinted and in fact they were stopping them from behind exactly they? So I don't they weren't know. actually looking at who was driving the car exactly yeah and also I mean you know it may well be if you drive through Hackney ten times <laughs> no matter who you are <laughs> one of those stop. times that you're driving through it you might get pulled over exactly particularly if you're in a type of car that they're looking out for because yeah. apparently those are the types of cars that have been coming down to London to steal other cars. Exactly, from a particular region of the right. country. Um, so yeah, I'm still working on that. I'm not letting it up. Um, I, I don't like having to talk about Don Butler, but I just think, you know, something like this shouldn't be let go. Well, I think there is the problem with the media at the moment, and, and people ask me this all the time about with relation to coronavirus, is why do the media so go along with whatever the kind of narrative from the government is? Because yeah. they've sort of forgotten that they're supposed to question people. Yep. And because of the, the, the sort of 24-7 
news agenda that we now have things mm -hmm. do get forgotten yeah. you know you have i mean like look at this margaret ferrier woman from the snp mm. you know she's just basically taken the view that she's going to sit it out and she's not going to resign mm -hmm. even though she's been asked to resign even though she's been told to resign by the snp's boss which is nicola sturgeon yeah she's just taken the view that people will just forget about for it forget about and, it yeah. and i'm like you with dawn butler i'm like i'm just going to keep mentioning her and i'm going to keep asking on twitter yeah. why she hasn't resigned why she hasn't uh, you know fallen on a sword because she should she should yeah there should be honor in our politics yeah. to some extent you know it's still a greasy game but you shouldn't be able to do stuff like that and just no. get away with it and there should be some form of uh, i mean i get the the the, the sort of the the principle that you represent your constituents yeah. and that's fine so you can't be sacked by your own sort of party mm -hmm. however you'd have to also argue that the only reason she's in that job is because she was standing as an snp candidate yeah. if she'd been standing on her own that she would be different. Wouldn't have, yeah. She wouldn't be there. So that's what I think she, she, should, she should at the very least allow people to vote again and see if yeah, they want her. Exactly. Because for her to go, oh, no, I represent my Rutherglen constituents and they all love me. Oh, really? Well, yeah. you know, let's have a... You know, let's, <laughs> I don't let's, think they really care that much. see the proof in the pudding. I really don't think so. And apparently it was quite a narrow victory against Labour. Yeah. So actually, for the opposition that you speak of, who are apparently uh, run by somebody called Sir Keir Starmer, um, you know, they could actually make inroads. They could get a seat yeah. in Scotland. You know, Another seat for Labour. That would well, reduce I mean, the... Well, what it would show is at least that people quite like Keir Starmer. Mm. And if they're going to vote for him in Scotland in one place, that's at least something. Because at the moment, uh, there's no indication that he's going to come anywhere close to, to, to winning, even oh yeah, as bad as the Tories are right now, you know? I think everyone is tuning out. Mm. I don't know if you've noticed, but I think everyone's everyone's tuning out from the mainstream media. Everyone's yeah. tuning out of politics. Yeah. So I don't even think you, you, we are going back to that phase where people were so impassioned by certain leaders. Like, right. you know, as controversial as Blair was, he was someone that, you know, inspired passion. I he don't was. know anyone. Well, Boris, I think, has been a massive disappointment because Yo, he, all I now see, and I know that Twitter is not necessarily a, a good thermometer of these things, but, mm. but all I see now is everyone's fed up with him. Yeah. They just want rid of him. They're disappointed. They feel mm. let down. They hoped that he was going to be this kind of, you know, talent type figure yeah. and he's just turned out to be an absolute waste of time yeah exactly and he's just now just hiding and <laughs> making really awkward uncomfortable yeah. speeches yeah, yeah. it's, it's just... really it's quite tragic now here we are we're in Black History Month right mm. so so what's happened to Black Lives Matter they've gone very quiet I know it's very what's weird it's almost, like, uh, they, it's almost like they came out of their shell mm. and now they've run back into it yep Exactly. And this so is, this I is can only thing. assume that they must have achieved whatever it was that they wanted to achieve. Apparently, so they received over £1.2 million in funding. Apparently, there's some legalities about getting that money released. Oh, yeah. Because there's not actually a solid structure for them to actually spend it through. Right. I don't, I don't know. That's what I've been hearing, but they can't actually sort of withdraw the funds. Right. So that's something. But also, it's not that clear who's running it. Yeah. Is it? I mean, there is no face of it in this this country. It's so crazy. I mean, we spoke to this guy called Gary McFarlane, mm. who apparently was one of the sort of founding members of it. Yeah. I but he's a here. Trotskyist. He's a socialist worker party guy. Yeah. You know, very left wing Marxist. Wants to kind of destabilize the state and all of that. Mm. I don't, I'm not sure that he is recognizable as, say, the head of it. Yeah. Because people like him are never the head of anything because they yeah. don't believe in being the heads of anything. Yeah, and you know, this is the thing people keep forgetting, which I don't understand. Black Lives Matter in the UK in 2016 was just a bunch of like 13-year-old, you know, misfits, basically, right. that were blocking a road to Heathrow during a busy summer period yeah. that got arrested and then charged. Right. That was Black Lives Matter in the UK. They were right. literally a non-entity. Mm. And then, you know, following this uprising in the US, for instance, they have just ridden that wave now yeah. up 
intelligent Premier League players were wearing the Black Lives Matter on their jerseys. Right. You know, people like Lewis Hamilton, who are, you know, incredible political minds, have taken up the cause. I mm. mean, they've just blown up in I a saw, way that... I think the most ridiculous thing I saw was either last weekend or the weekend before, Roy Hodgson, yeah. who's quite an old man, yeah. um, kneeling in the dugout, yeah. right? And somebody had put underneath it, I hope he can get up after you know oh, kneeling down because he was kneeling down you know in sympathy taking the knee taking but the it knee. wasn't it might really not come up. <laughs> it was like it was like your old grandfather in church you know yeah. he was kind of genuflecting slightly but he wasn't really keeling over you know because he didn't look like he could get up again and you <laughs> just think come on guys yeah this you know? is ridiculous um yeah so i i i don't know i i don't know if they're going to vanish anytime soon i i still think i i just think the conversation around even black lives matter has still become very stifled now mm. because there are people that are like yeah but we want to support it but then they're just like you yeah, about the organization i'm like right they're one and the same if you weren't saying black lives matter before this organization you are supporting the organization yeah. it's not an excuse to say oh but we think black lives matter i'm pretty sure you were a decent enough person to not think that any lives didn't matter right. so it shouldn't take this organization for you to feel so conflicted i know to, to be and like, all these kind of virtue signaling companies like Sainsbury's oh, yeah. and everybody else who came out and went well we're doing this now yeah really okay then yeah uh, well yeah. done Absolutely unbelievable. Well, listen, uh, great to see you again, Esther. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you for coming in. We're going to be doing Plank of the Week this afternoon with uh, yeah. Martin Daubney and Esther, which should be relatively uh, hilarious, I would think. <laughs> uh, there's loads and loads of people that we're going to nominate. Uh, I can think of five just right now off the top of my head. Um, but Esther will be back the same time next week. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is a delicious thing when you think about all of the people that have come here from the dark side. And you know what I'm talking about when I say the dark side, because it is very dark over there. It is the place where there is no light, where there is no encouragement to even find light, where there is only pain and dismal attitudes about the world, depression and that kind of thing. Here, uh, we're happy. Here we're optimistic. Here uh, we are finding ways uh, to keep ourselves entertained and keep ourselves positive about the dreaded situation that we find ourselves in because there will be eventually a route out of all of this uh, and with help for each of us we will find it right now of course it is that time where we do homeschooling because the 12:30 news has come and gone and it's time to talk to emma louise rose uh, who's from twinkle from the teacher team leader and of course she's still a teacher as well we're going to do maths now some of you might recoil in horror at those words we're going to do maths. But maths can be fun. And I'm sure that Emma Louise is going to tell us how. Emma Louise, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Hello. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Now, there are people who will be completely and utterly horrified. It will take them all the way back to their school days when they couldn't do, you know, long division or they couldn't do algebra. I may be showing my age when I say that. Um, but, you know, maths and the ability to do it can be learned, can't it? I mean, you know, I've always been quite good at doing sums in my head. Some people can't. Um, can you teach them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of what I want to talk about today is opportunities for uh, learning maths all around you, at home, out on a day out, um, things that are ready, readily available to you that, that can be used to help your children understand maths. Yes. And giving them that kind of concrete, real-life um, context uh, can be really helpful, especially for children who do struggle with that kind of conceptual side of things yeah. or the mental math side of things. Right. Okay. And I mean, is it a sort of brain training thing that you do, or is it just a question of rote? Because I mean, I'm I'm sadly old enough to remember when I we used to just sit in class and recite, you know, the times tables, and as a result, I now still know them off, off by heart. 
but I imagine that that's not the, the method that you're going to in, uh, engage here. I would say there's no one method. Um, you know, I, I always <laughs> quite often say children aren't like sausages. We don't put them under the grill and they all cook <laughs> You've got to do different things for different children. Yeah. Uh, some of them absolutely take to rote learning very, very quickly, um, and that's great if they do. Um, but for those children, they might still need to understand, like I say, the concrete side of things, mm. the act, what's actually going on rather than just remembering the numbers. Right. And for children who do struggle with numbers, giving it a real-life context is really helpful. Right. Uh, yeah. Do you think that uh, the introduction of calculators into the world has kind of made people a bit lazy? I mean, I know that Google has. I mean, I, I used to have a producer uh, who, when I said to him, you know, why don't you know that? He would go, well, I don't need to know anything. I can just Google it. And I'd be like, yeah, but knowledge is quite a good thing to have. And in the same way, people don't worry about being able to work out hard sums because they've got a calculator. I would say you still need to have those logic skills embedded to use the calculator phone. If yeah. somebody says to you, can you work out this percentage of this, right. whether you had a calculator or not, you'd still need to understand, understand that yeah. a percent was a, a piece of a you know, hundredth, and you'd still have to have those skills. So, uh, yeah, it is one of those things that people say, isn't it? So, like, well, I don't need to do rental math because I can do it on a calculator. Right, right. I but mean, the number of times you, you, you're in a supermarket, you know, and, and you're at the till and they've somehow messed it up and you go well this is how much it is and they go oh hang on a minute and they have to tap it in and you go well why do you have to tap it in can't you just know that you know yeah well some people will just know it some people do struggle with it a little bit more stuff like that would be a good opportunity for um learning for your children as well actually yes. getting them to work out getting to work getting them to work out the change getting them to work out how much things going to cost is a a good obvious one that I know a lot of people do. Yeah. Well, do you know, one of the things we're going to do on homeschooling soon is 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 trying to sort of figure out a way of teaching kids about financial responsibility and about money because I think, unfortunately, a lot of schools don't really do that. They just assume that the parents are going to do it and they just assume that the kids are going to be knowledgeable about money and about kind of responsibility with money and all of that. And it all kind of ties in with the maths, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I'm a primary school teacher, so from our point of view, I feel like the skills are certainly being taught that w that children would need to apply to their own finances yeah. when they're older. Right. Um. So that yeah, that would be a natural follow-on for sure. All right. So, what's your secret without wishing to give it all away so that nobody will ever call you again? I mean, what do you what what do you do uh, to get kids who are not that interested in maths interested in maths? Uh, well, I'm going to talk to you about it from a homeschooling point of view because I know there'll be parents listening, so yeah. nice ways that they can do it at home. So there's quite a lot of ways that you could actually teach a maths lesson that isn't sit down and do a worksheet, and there's quite a lot of sneaky ways that you can get maths into everyday conversation. It's a bit like tricking children into eating vegetables by right. hiding them in the bolognese. <laughs> yes. Um, so, for example, uh, one of the, a nice example I've got, and it's a really obvious one, if you're teaching fractions rather than open with right we're going to learn about fractions this is what a fraction is mm. you can quite literally have a cake or a pizza and say oh well there's four of us here so how many pieces are we going to fit in yeah. put it in and then what if there was eight of us what if we had to share it amongst everybody else here what if we had 16 people in the room but only 12 of them wanted pizza how much would be left right and rather than, and bring it bring something in that's yeah. interesting give them a hook um, and that's something you definitely can do at home all the time. Definitely. Um, well, anything that involves pizza is always going to be popular, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I would agree. I would entirely agree <laughs> with that as well. <laughs> that's good. And what about kind of, can you teach people who aren't that necessarily gifted at it 
to just be able to do sums in their head? Can you teach that? It depends very much on the child. I mean, some people there will there will be other underlying issues, so I don't want to overlook those. Um, but for most children, I think there's a lot of children who think that they can't do maths just because they go, I can't do maths, I'm not good at maths. But they don't necessarily realise that they're doing maths every day. Right. I mean, that's kind of where maths comes from, isn't it? The necessity of you know working out how much to trade what for and how much things are worth um, if, if you're going way back. Um, and I think there's a lot of children who won't realise that they're doing maths in their heads. So right. there's, five, right. there's five chairs at this table, but there's six of us. What on earth are we going to do? Mm. You need that. That is a really basic math skill. I need one more chair. Yes. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, certainly looking at my, I mean, I've, I've got a son who just finished or didn't do his GCSEs. He was meant to, but he, did, he didn't. But some of the maths that he was doing at that level um, of what I would call, you know, what I don't even know what they call it now. I think it's called, I don't know, it was year 11 or something, but it used to be known as the fifth form in my day. Yeah. Um, it was really difficult. I mean, really hard stuff that I couldn't even help him with in the end. Yeah, definitely. Well, most people, as we know, most people will not, need to solve you know a quadratic equation um in a normal day-to-day life right. um what i would say though is that this those skills um the kind of thinking skills and the logic application those techniques are very very usable in real life even if you don't know you're using them um people like to highlight you know i've never had to work out uh you know all the sides of a right angle triangle right. it's a lot pythagoras but actually the skills are are very very good for you working out other things as well okay and if people want to uh, look into it a bit further at twinkle have you got places they can go yeah we have we have a lot of math on twinkle so when i started working there i actually wrote quite a bit of the math <laughs> so i'd like to say that i can promise it you know it was written by somebody that i can personally say did a good job <laughs> excellent <laughs> but there's lots of things on there so if you were doing children maths with your children we definitely have an awful lot of worksheets presentations videos on there relating to maths um, and if you want to take that further and apply those concepts to real life, then absolutely you should go for it. Get your children baking. They can be measuring out the ingredients for you. Even very young children can be counting out spoonfuls of things, making sure that they're understanding that one-to-one -one correspondence. All that kind of stuff is brilliant. All right. Brilliant stuff. Well, Emma Louise, thank you very much indeed. Emma Louise Rose, teacher, team leader at Twinkle. Uh, still a teacher, of course, of primary school kids. Maths is a massive uh, part of everybody's life and you should at least have basic math skills and you should try and teach your kids basic math skills as well but of course it is quite difficult uh, as you get as they get older because their maths gets really really complicated for heaven's sake talk radio across the uk online on dab and on your smart speaker the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.